Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. You're listening to Great Women in Compliance on the Compliance Podcast Network with Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine. I'm Lisa Fine, and one of the fun parts of doing a podcast like this is the opportunity to delve into different topics that I'm interested in. In January, I spoke with Gwen Romack about building a dream compliance team, and then followed up with Ellen Hunt about how to be the CCO when you're hired to lead that dream team. To me, this was a small series within a series, and as I celebrated my first anniversary at Pearson, I have been thinking about how your peers and colleagues onboard a new colleague. Um, And when you have a great team, as we do, we have a great team and we do include two men on the team. Um, I, I know I'm biased. How do you bring someone new into the team? Um, so today I am speaking with two of my colleagues who did that and so much more for me a year ago. My guests today are Sarah Powell, Compliance Counsel and Director, Third Party Anti-Bribery and Corruption Compliance, and Cindy Merlino, Global Ethics and Compliance Specialist. I'm very fortunate to work with these two great women every day. So for starters, um, I'm going to ask both of you a little bit about your background. And Sarah, how did you end up with compliance? Hi, Lisa, and hi, everyone listening. I have to agree with you. I think we work with the best team. Um, And it's also so wonderful to be speaking with you today. So thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, So just a bit of background about me. I am from South Africa. um, And in South Africa, we've got a split legal profession. So we have a branch of lawyers, which are the attorneys, and they handle sort of mainly the drafting and and general processes. And then we have the more specialized drafting and court work um, that's done by advocates. So I started off my career as an attorney and I then re-qualified as an advocate. Um, I moved from South Africa to the UK in 2014 and I was incredibly fortunate to have an interview with another great woman in compliance, who some of you may know, and that is Christy Grandhart. Um, she worked at United International Pictures. She interviewed me and she gave me my very first job in London. And that role was really a split um, between legal and and compliance. Um, And I think at that point, I sort of reached a crossroads in my career because I had a choice between requalifying and becoming an English solicitor or barrister, um, which would have taken considerable time and money or moving into the field of compliance. And Christy was a huge advocate um, for the compliance route. She was in a similar position to me being a US qualified um, lawyer. And she really pushed and guided me. Um, She always jokes and says she stole me to the dark side, but um, you know, it worked and I moved into compliance um, and I've never looked back. And I think, you know, just a note from me on, on sort of what makes that decision so worthwhile for me um, is because really of sort of the deep personal impact that corruption has had on me. Um, I'm sure that many of you may know and may have heard that South Africa has just emerged from almost a decade of, of grand corruption and, and looting of our state, which we've called state capture. Um, to put things into perspective, The estimate is that one third of our entire GDP was lost to corruption. Um, And I think perhaps an even bigger cost of that is 
of course, the incalculable human suffering of the people of South Africa, um, including whistleblowers. And, and really, you know, this translates into lost job opportunities, eroded institutions, deeper poverty and inequality, and you can't put a price tag on that. Um, and, you know, when you're in South Africa, you see the faces of the victims of this bribery every time you stop at the traffic light, um, you know, they're begging for food. You see them sleeping under bridges at night or going through rubbish bins for food right outside your office. Um, and so for me, having the immense privilege to be a part of, of the fight for these people and for all of us against bribery has really made that decision to go into compliance really incredible, in, incredibly worthwhile and rewarding. Yeah, and just, Sarah, I, you know, you always bring things home when we talk as a, as a team or as a group about the bigger picture, you know, as many of us in compliance will talk day to day about how do we get from X to Y um, or A to B, you often really come in with the big picture and how it's all impacting people. And I think sometimes you, you really bring us back to that. And I appreciate that very much. Um, and I think it's great. And Cindy, uh, Cindy has been at, at Pearson and can tell her background. And I'm really excited for you to tell everybody how you got into it. First off, let me just say how grateful I am to be speaking with you, Lisa, and that you thought of having Sarah and I on the podcast. Um, you know, I, we're both, I'm both very, very lucky um, to work with you both all the time and learn from you both. And um, certainly uh, I'm always inspired by uh by what Sarah brings to the table in terms of her experience. Um, so I have personally learned so much, let me just say, from the Great Women in Compliance podcast in my compliance career journey thus far. So it has been a great support to so many compliance professionals. Um, so I just wanted to take this opportunity and thank you, Lisa and Mary Shirley, for your ongoing work in providing this innovative tool to the compliance community. Well, thank you for that. And we don't, you don't have to say any more nice things about me, but you know, it, I do <laughs> love the fact that our team has such a, a, a lots of interesting things going on with them, like Absolutely. you. Absolutely. So I have, um, my journey has been a little bit different. Um, I have been with Pearson for my entire professional career. And I, I think that's, I'm, I'm a little bit like a uh, artifact in a museum somewhat, Um but I only came into the compliance area in recent years. So I started off in the business working in marketing to support our um, higher ed list, uh, one of our computer science lists. And um, I've been blessed, you know, over my many years at Pearson to work not only with a brilliant first manager, but um, just amazing people along my way um, in my journey in this company. Um, and, uh, you know, I've always found the people at Pearson that I've worked with, you know, creative, fun, and uh, incredibly intelligent. And um, I have really fond memories of, of people that I worked with at the start um, and what I learned from them. Um, I think from my work ethic, penchant for the details and being well organized, um, I believe I've transitioned that's kind of promoted me and propelled me um, into several other parts of the organization, including working with um, some business systems groups um, over the years, uh, technology, and now compliance. So 
What's interesting is that my journey to work in compliance is that I've always had an interest in and a desire for working in the legal profession and had initially thought um, when I was an undergrad that I would go to law school and become an attorney. Um, for, for various reasons, that, that decision shifted and I decided to just go um, into the workforce and, and um, uh, take a gap in terms of uh, applying to law school. And so I started with Pearson and I've kind of just continued on in my journey through the company. Um, compliance really wasn't something, to be honest, that was discussed all that much when I was an undergrad in college. So Somehow, I think, you know, me working in compliance now was was ultimately what was meant to be for me. Um, I really enjoy the problem-solving aspect of compliance, um, creating and shaping or enhancing uh, our program that helps protect the company and our employees, um, simplifying con- concepts um, and creating training for our employees that's engaging. Um, and the ability to collaborate with other functions and global stakeholders. And, you know, lastly, someone being born and raised Roman Catholic and went to Catholic school for the majority of my educational career, um, working in a field where following the rules and doing the right thing reflects what I have really grown up with all my life. So um, it's, it's quite a perfect fit for me. And then you stayed. Um, and you then I stayed. Yeah. Yeah. What kept you? Um, I, I, I really, I think uh, the mission of the organization, right. Uh, I think having, um, a, a, a company working for a company that's, um, mission is to use education to help improve the lives of people, um, all over the world and make progress in their lives and, and in their careers is, is something wonderful to be a part of. And secondly, um, the people. I mean, I, I mentioned throughout my time working with Pearson, I've um, worked with tremendously wonderful people and some who are still here to this day, whenever I bump into them in the hallway when we are at work, um, I, I it's always a, a bright smile, a hug, you know, an engaging encounter, uh, a laugh. And just catching up and, and saying good to see you. So um, so I, I think we we work for a company that's made up of a lot of very kind individuals. Um, so that's a lovely thing. Um, and it's really kept me here. Given everything going on in the world right now, um, I thought both of you could, could touch a little bit about how COVID-19 has impacted you, um, especially you, Sarah, because you have... Um, you're back in South Africa, and I think it's been just a very, you know, wow, what a what a process. Absolutely, Lisa. Um, so we had some plans for the year, you know, in South Africa, and when our president announced that he was closing the borders at very short notice, we packed our life in London up into two suitcases and flew home the next day, um, and we have been here since. So, I mean, I have to start off with saying that I have been just incredibly impressed with our response. Um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very proud, but it is a tough lockdown. So I'm sure that many of you listening will appreciate that um, they have back prohibition. So we cannot buy alcohol here. 
Um, and we are not allowed to leave the house at all, except to buy groceries, visit a doctor, or go to the pharmacy. So that means we can't exercise outside. You can't even walk your dog. Um, so it's been a very tough 28 days for us so far. Um, but I think, Lisa, I just want to go back to, to, to what we discussed at the beginning and, and talking about, you know, making the impact of corruption and bringing it back to, to real life. Um, and I think this crisis really inter it sort of intersects with corruption in two ways. Firstly, and I hope you all will forgive me for speaking about South Africa again, but I think it's really interesting and kind of worthwhile to understand, you, you know, this puts it in perspective. So as a country, we are, are just emerging from this decade of grand corruption that has decimated the institutions that we actually need. Um, you know, we have some of the best doctors and scientists in the world, but our state-owned entities that provide the healthcare and other services to so many of us have been looted and destroyed, and the money has been stolen. Um, and, and obviously, this has a double impact because not only do we need to repair these institutions, you know, they're not equipped and not able to deliver the services in a time of need, but of course, we need extra money on top of that now to deal with the crisis. Um, and, and I think, you know, we have, as I said earlier, we have a very vulnerable society where 60% of the population lives below the, the poverty line, hand to mouth, sort of every day. Um, and so enforcing a lockdown where there's really limited money and limited capacity of the state to look after our people becomes really a double hardship um, for the country. And then I think the other way that that corruption sort of has an impact is, is, and this for me is a global thing, is that we're now working in an environment where there's a higher risk of corruption. Um, and the reason I say that I think is, is because there's an opportunity for corruption to take root um, in relief measures in particularly. So, for example, where we're doing things quicker than we would normally be, you know, government tenders for supplies, I mean, for us, for food parcels, um, you know, normal processes and systems can be bypassed. They may not necessarily be the oversight that there is usually. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen it here with, with food parcels being distributed in a way that favours political parties, um, you know, and those that sort of want to use them for their, own, for their own means. So I think all of this really sort of drives home the point for me that, that corruption has long-term consequences and particularly even worse consequences when a crisis comes up. Um, and, and I don't know if this, you know, we, in, in South Africa, we have, we have two sayings that I don't know, maybe of some comfort or hope to anyone listening, but we have one, you know, and these are the things that I think our society is, has really chosen to live by now. Um, you know, we are very resilient and I think tolerant to a fault and, and dare I say, sort of probably best at our best in a crisis. But the first concept is this concept of tumamina, which means, it means send me. And, you know, it's, it's a social compact and it's about serving and it's about making a commitment to help with what you can, where you can. Um, and the other concept is Ubuntu, which is a community concept. And, and that means I am, I have my life and my source because you are. So I can't be me without me having you. Um, and, and, you know, I think we've seen it in action, not only here, but I think globally, um, you know, the partnership between business and civil society and government, for me, certainly has been nothing short of, of breathtaking, really. 
And I just hope that in some way this will be the start of a new normal for us, you know, that we can use this crisis uh, together with lessons that we've learned from the past to, to forge a new and a better way of life. And, and Cindy, what about you? So, um, so my experience has been, um, you know, not as um, an arduous of a journey as Sarah's, but um, I've primarily worked from home for a while. So that was not a new experience for me um, as compared to some professionals um, or people who work at Pearson um, on a daily basis and go to an office. So I didn't have to transition um, necessarily with that, which I, I know is a challenge for some people. Um, they're not set up to work from home. Um, there's just, you know, comfortable chair and space to work in. Um, it may not exist. So, um, so I'm grateful that I did not have to um, do that. However, um, I did have to adjust to becoming a teacher um, while also working to my first grader. And that is definitely one of the more difficult transitions personally that um, we have had to figure out um, along, along the way with this experience. Um, you know, and some days um, we get it right, um, my husband and I, and, and we, you know, get everything done and, and feel accomplished and that he's learned something. And other days um, I just would, rather a do-over, um, you know, um, and it, it really was a challenge just getting my youngest to focus and want to do his work and fitting that in during the day. Um, that's improved since we've now been doing this for a few weeks and we've gotten into a better routine. Um, I've also stopped putting so much pressure on myself to compare what we are able to do to others who are not in the same uh, boat as us. So that has really helped uh, shift my perspective. I also have an older son who's in sixth grade and he's been um, very independent during this process um, and doing his work and um, uh, really taking charge and handling that uh, brilliantly. So, um, so that's been a blessing. Um, in case anybody is listening um, who has uh, younger kids that they're now teaching while they're trying to work from home. Um, and in case you need to hear this, I uh, just want to tell you that you're doing an amazing job and, um, and you're, you know, it, just carry on. Um, you know, it, it will get better. Um, and we will uh, come out of this at some point. Um, I think what's been harder personally for us has just been um, seeing the social isolation of our kids and, you know, you, as a parent, you want to fix things. Um, but I can't really fix this. I have to kind of sit and wait. Um, so it, it's, there's been some, you know, certainly some, um, you know, emotions and outbursts and, and arguments and frustration, um, that we've had to deal with, uh, a little bit more than usual. So, and it's harder for my youngest because he's not able to, you know, really connect with his peers and his classmates like my oldest can. And he's an extrovert. He's full of energy. Um, so he's had a little bit of a rougher time. Um, and in addition to just kind of the, the concerns about 
you know, the virus itself and the economic impacts of all this. Um, I really think, you know, the mental health issues and food security are two of the other really bigger issues that I'm concerned with from the situation. Um, you know, I think everyone's had some mental well-being impacts during this situation. Um, I've certainly had my moments myself. Um, and I, I th in the U.S., um, we really have a lot of, you know, we've had stigma around mental health um, for quite some time. I think um, for those people that um, have loved ones that are sick and are fighting this all alone and can't see them, um, yeah. for people who are naturally isolated and, um, you know, feeling susceptible already to depression and anxiety and healthcare workers who are certainly going to have, you know, some form of PTSD uh, from this situation, it's a big concern. Um, and I think we'll be dealing with the mental health impacts of this um, long after the virus is over. Um, and, you know, I really worry about food security in the U.S. Um, food pantries, you know, across the U.S., including in my very own community, are seeing record number of people in need than before. And with schools closed, many children aren't getting the meals that they typically get. Um, so, and I'm also worried about further disruptions in the supply chain with, you know, food processing plants shutting down or crops not being able to be harvested. Um, so I think that's going to become a bigger issue, um, unfortunately, in the coming weeks. Um, so I'm just, you know, with all that said, I'm trying to just put things in perspective personally and find blessings in the crisis. Um, and like Sarah, I'm just really hoping for the best. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's what we have to do. <laughs> I mean, everyone has, we have a lot of challenges and I think Sarah, particularly talking about South Africa for people to understand the differences there. And, and Cindy, what you're going through um, is, uh, you know, a contrast that we all, um, you know, are living with. We live with our different challenges and socioeconomically. And I think, you know, it's hard to have a conversation in these days without talking about COVID. As I talked about at the beginning, um, I've been thinking a lot about new joiners and me joining an organization. Um, I realize that people often talk about it in terms of how this impacts the manager, the leader of the team, or the new employees, the new employee that has, you know, started at the company. But it definitely impacts the team in different ways. And you two both really helped me at the beginning. Um, I, you know, had not interviewed with either of you, so you hadn't met me on my first day of vice versa. So I just wondered a little bit about, you know, what you were hoping for, you know, concerns and what you were looking for in a, a team member. So Cindy, let's start with you. Yeah, so I was really hoping um, that the new member of our team would would basically add a strong link uh, to our collective chain and to fill any gaps that we had in terms of expertise or skill set. Um, the new team member was going to have to focus on uh, one of our largest markets, um, and they really needed to have the, the personality to build, enhance, and um, maintain a good relationship with that business. Um, so, you know, somebody who is personable and who is able to find uh, the inroads to improve compliance awareness with that part of the organization was, uh, was really essential. Um, I was also hoping that, um, that the new person would bring a different perspective from outside the organization 
on basically ways to enhance our our compliance program as it's, you know, always beneficial to have a different perspective on how another industry or organization has handled or managed um, their program. Um, And last, certainly not, but not least, um, I was certain, I was hoping that the new team member would uh, fit in well with the rest of our team, personality-wise, and jump right in on projects and problems and offer insights and ideas and um, would be um, able to collaborate on creative ways to communicate and raise awareness about compliance and ethics. So I'm really happy to say that you hit all those aspirations, Lisa. So I was... Yeah, I still remember I'm, I, I was in Hoboken, our headquarters, the second week, and I remember Cindy just explaining almost everything. And, to, you know, because of her, your life experience at the company and knowing all the organization and basically putting together this terrific code of conduct and thinking, oh, thank goodness, um, you know, which is not dissimilar to how I felt after I talked to Sarah, um, which was virtual a few minutes later. So a few weeks later, I think, or a week or two um, but Sarah, you know, what about you when you're thinking about, you know, a new uh, a person, particularly our, our team is tight knit. Um, so. So, uh, you know, Lisa, I think I completely agree with everything that Cindy has said. Um, I think for me in particular, I was looking for a good person. Um, I think when you work with a good person, a lot of things fall into place. Um, and obviously by good, I don't mean only, you know, a person of sound, of sound moral and ethical character, but, but someone who's open and approachable, um, who's a good communicator, someone with empathy, um, and, and someone also who knows how to work in a, in a team and with a team and towards a common goal. And of course, we've got all that and far more with you, Lisa. And and then and then the other thing you know Cindy mentioned it and it was important to me too. So I predominantly focus on the markets outside of of America, um, and and I was really hoping for someone who was well experienced, you know, who knew and understood the markets, the rules and regulations, and who could give advice to us quickly. And and if they didn't know, you know, they could go and fetch the answers. They knew where to go and look for the answers. Um, and, and and then I think you know. Another thing that Cindy said is I also really love, you know, learning about new approaches and new ways of doing things. And I think that a lot of value can be brought by someone that's coming from outside the organization in. Um, And of course, Lisa hit the ball right out of the park. (laughs) Uh, I did not bring my colleagues on here to say nice things, but I won't, you know, I won't not take them. But, you know, (laughs) it was just amazing from um, like the first couple of days, like I just felt like I've said it before, one of the things that you all did is gave me the ability and the the time to learn as well as I wanted to bring stuff to the table, but I was also um, concerned that, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure I was doing things the right way and, you know, learning the culture and things like that. But you can't do that without taking the time or having, you know, team members take time from their busy work schedules because you guys are very busy people. Um you know, to, to help bring them in and understand, um, you know, all of that. Um, and, you know, I think that talks a little bit about, you know, you know, integrating somebody, you know, into the company and also, you know, both making sure that there's value to you all and, and to the person. So um, I think, Cindy, if you want to talk a little bit about integration um, and then we'll kind of follow up from there. 
Yeah. So I, I would say to integrate someone new into an organization, you know, it's really crucial to give them a general overview or lay of the land, if you will. Um, especially large organizations, they can be really difficult um, for someone new to navigate and understand. And I think Pearson is a very um, matrix organization and, and it, it's, it can be a challenge. Um, so, so really helping a new hire understand the operational aspects of the organization, you know, how this works, who to go for, to for what, who can help with an issue or solve a problem uh, quickly, um, helps ease that initial onboarding phase. Um, and also being clear and, and transparent that if they have questions, you know, to not feel bad about asking them of someone. I think um, sometimes people who are new hires, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, like I'm bothering that person again, or, you know, asking another question of them. And, um, you know, they, they can, I mean, I certainly, you know, have, have the um, tendency to say, oh, I've, I've bothered them way too much. Um, but just, just being open about that and asking questions off the, off the bat, um, I think is really helpful to somebody who's a new hire. Um, and really, you know, I, I see trying to integrate somebody, you know, you're basically being a lighthouse for them. Um, you're helping them navigate their boat to the shore. Um, and the quicker that they are able to do that, they can um, add value and productivity to the organization. And Sarah, what about um, for, for you in terms of, you know, what, you, what the plan or to integrate or what, um, you know, what you to bring somebody in at the beginning about the new joiner? So, so, so Lisa, I think, and perhaps this is just unique to the way that, that I learned, but I found it most helpful to give a new joiner an understanding of sort of the processes and the programs and the structures that are in place um, so that they've got the foundation and the groundwork to build on from there. Um, and, and, you know, if I talk specifically about you, Lisa, take, for example, our due diligence process and our due diligence program. You know, I knew that that was where I would need the most of your sort of support and help, whether it's clearing our flags or whether it's being eyes and ears on the ground to make sure that the business is, is doing it. Um, and, and so, I mean, if I recall, you and I sat down and, and we went through step by step each of the elements of, of, of the due diligence program. And, and um, you know, and I think then what actually is sort of the second thing that was really helpful is that Lisa, I remember us collaborating on a, a due diligence training course. Of course, Cindy was also highly and heavily involved, but, um, but I think it's getting, you know, the understanding of, of, sort of the grip and the basics and then, and then sort of getting stuck into, into the work um, and, and sort of learning while you're doing. So, so yeah, I think that to me is, is sort of the most, the most helpful part of, you know, obviously in, in addition to everything that, that Cindy has said. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, very clearly starting to work on that project and sort of remembering, figuring out not just the process, but how does this all work in the bigger picture of the company? And also for me, you know, as like I was saying before, trying to, you know, learn about the business at the same time I was doing that. And at the same time, being an, a, an early project for somebody who's new, you're like, I really want what I give back to the team to be of value. So they're not thinking, you know, wh why do we have this person? This has taken me more time as opposed to less time. That was a bit of a, a worry for me. So, um, you know, how do you guys balance that time? Um, and Sarah, we'll start with you to, to, to bring somebody in 
um, you know, along with the work that you have on your plate? Sure. So, so Lisa, look, I, th- I think for me, I know when I've started a new job, I say it takes six months to learn an organization and, and its people. Um, and I think really a starting point is just make sure that you spend enough time at the beginning onboarding that person um, from the perspective of teaching them the basics so that they've got that, um, you know, the foundation and the fundamentals. So one thing that, that's been really helpful, and I know that you and I didn't necessarily do this, I've done it with another colleague, and that is to create a document or a playbook of, of fundamentals. Um, and another really, really useful thing is to carve out a few days of dedicated training. Um, I'm a huge fan of face-to-face meetings and training. I just think, you know, part of our value of, of you know, of human beings is in our connections with each other. Um, and that's a great way to get to know someone. So, so you know, a few days of training it, it does the trick. And then obviously, as I said earlier, one of the most powerful ways to learn is by doing. Um, and I think that's by thinking about what are the things that you can bring your new, your new colleague, your new joiner into, particularly projects that are starting all from the beginning, um, where they can sort of, it's very difficult when you're brought into a project halfway, but if you're there at the start, you've got the foundation and you can learn. Um, and, and then lastly, the other thing I think I would really say is just remembering to be patient um, and to be approachable. Um, and also something that I've learned along my journey is this concept of knowledge checking. So when you feel that someone isn't getting it, isn't grasping it, you're feeling frustrated, um, a good thing to do is to ask them to tell you what you're asking them to do. Um, so this, this idea of saying, okay, you talk to me about why you're approaching it this way, what your reasoning is, so that you can speak, you can learn to speak their language um, and I think that's super helpful when we're getting to, yeah, when we're trying to get the most value out of it, out of because we all bring value, right? So it's trying to get value from that from that person. And just the last thing I'll say is I had a mentor, and he always said to me, um, the legal mentor, he said to me, you can learn something from everyone, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, you can learn something from everyone. So I think it's also looking at our at our colleagues and new joiners from that perspective too. Yeah. I think that it makes a lot of sense. I, I'm a huge proponent of the using everyone speaks different languages. It's not just the actual language that one speaks conversationally, but how, you know, in, in the business, the way salespeople will speak will be different than internal audit or others, just as examples. And how, how do you make things resonate in their language? And I, I hadn't thought about it till you put it that way in terms of thinking about new joiners. Um, Sydney, what about you? Yeah, so I, I would agree. I mean, I, I've read statistics that um, at, personally, since I've not been a new joiner for quite some time, um, but I've, you know, that the average um, amount of time that it takes to onboard a new employee is anywhere from three to six months. Um, I would say probably if it's a larger, more complex organization, it probably takes even longer than six months. Um, and, you know, certainly whenever there's someone new on a team, I think it's good for existing team members to remember to practice patience, as Sarah said, um, with helping that person um, get up to speed on the organization and the function. Um, You know, the focus, as I said before, really should be on understanding the fundamentals and, you know, how the business operates, uh, key people to go to and find out information and the systems and tools in place 
to help the organization work um, and help the new hire fulfill their new responsibilities. Um, I think you'll never learn it all. Um, and even myself, who's been with the organization for quite some time, you know, I'm still learning um, pockets and how things work and function. So, um, so, you know, you have to have a learning mindset and really ask great questions when you're starting off um, and, and continue throughout. Um, I think some organizations, we don't have it at Pearson, but some organizations I know have a buddy system for new hires. Um, and I think that's a great resource, certainly for uh, people to feel more comfortable asking questions or um, having somebody to help walk them and guide them through this process. So uh, for you specifically, Lisa, though, I mean, I, I really felt like you were very good at, you know, getting some basic information and then going off and finding your way. Um, and, I, you know, really initially, like I, my, my thought process was to, to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you, um, just get to know you a little bit better so we could build that relationship. And then I could certainly keep you in mind if um, certain elements or meetings came about with stakeholders uh, that you would benefit from. So then to kind of bring you in um, to that, um, to the, to the fold, to, to start getting your feet wet, um, was really important. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, as somebody who was new, I, and, and with you guys and with, um, you know, Stephen and Henry and all the other team members that we have, um, you know, was going sort of splitting up my questions appropriately to not overburden anyone. And most importantly, you know, Danette, our manager, no matter how much work she has, she's also a great woman in compliance. Um, yeah. it, it, you know, she always was taking the time when, frankly, she wouldn't have it, and none of you did. And, you know, really, though, you know, from the beginning, I really felt like, um, you know, that was one of the things I thought and why I wanted to raise this is that from all different levels of the organization, there was support. So hopefully, you know, it wouldn't overburden anybody in particular. But on the other hand, um, you know, it was very, it was comforting. Um, to be able to kind of share the questions. Um, so, yeah. you know, I'm going to talk about one last thing, you know, that goes a little bit back to what we talked about at the beginning, which is, um, you know, face-to-face -face versus remote and technology challenges, which I think we've all thought a lot more about now, um, given, you know, the current world situation. Um, you know, see us, um, you know, Cindy, I met you on my either second or third, it was my third week at Pearson because I remember mm -hmm. my second week at Pearson, you were on vacation. Yeah. Um, I, I, and you're my first week. They were like, you should call Cindy. I'm like, I think she'll be fine waiting a week to meet me. <laughs> on vacation. Um, but, you know, for you, um, you know, and I met the other U.S. members of the team then. Uh, Sarah, we, we talked a lot and I felt like I knew you when I met you in person. Um, but yeah. I think we've talked, I mean, you know, we're going to have a new normal when we come back and we don't know what that is yet. But you know, and it may lead to seeing team members less often in person. And I just wanted to get both of your takes on that. Cindy, why don't you start? Sure. So, um, I mean, I definitely think that COVID is going to make organizations rethink where and when um, employees can spend money on travel and in-person meetings in the future. Um, and a lot of that will certainly be uh, due to financial concerns um, uh, whenever that new normal takes place. 
Um, I do think that there are benefits with spending time together as a team, you know, occasionally in one room um, to work together in person, you know, plan priorities and objectives, uh, collaborate on projects. You know, there, there's a certain energy that's emitted when everyone is in the room together. And it also helps build trust and relationships um, among the members of the team. Um, and it's, it, you know, I think it we're blessed to be in a, a time in history where we have all these amazing technology tools like Zoom, but it's really difficult to replicate that same energy that is exuded when you're face-to-face with someone on a screen. Um, And personally, I mean, I'll be really sad not seeing our team or other teams at Pearson in the new normal if that's what's decided when this is all over. Um, We all work really well together and we're always glad to see each other in person. Um, And personally, that helps re-energize me about what we're trying to achieve together. So um, it it helps us build those relationships among the team. And, you know, when we need to step in and support each other in a critical situation, you have more confidence in knowing that you can rely on each other and your team member has your back. So, um, so I, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but, you know, I certainly hope that it's, that I see you guys again. (laughs) (laughs) So I completely agree with Cindy. I mean, I think if we separate out perhaps two things for me, one is the concept of working from home um, all the time, which I think is, I think it's fantastic. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of it. I think obviously, you know, if you can, for some people that doesn't work, um, but, but, you know, I I certainly would, would like to see more of that, not less. Um, But, you know, if we're going to talk about, travel and meeting you know teams in different countries and on different continents I'm a massive fan of face-to-face meeting um you know as Cindy said there's so much value in personal connection um we that's where relationships are built and I know from the work that I've done I would never have been able to do it over a screen um I think it, it's important sometimes that you do, you need to get on a plane or get in a car, get on a train and actually head out to an office and go and sit and speak to people. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I think this pause has been great for our environment. Um, I'm sure, yep. You know, when we'll see the results of that, I'm not sure. But, you know, and financially also, I think there'll be a, a lot of things to consider. But I really do hope, I really hope that we'll be able to meet in person again sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I also wanted to ask you you guys that as a bit of a reality check for me, because I do think in some instances, there really is no substitute for being in person. I think sometimes you know, there's the other side of people who, you know, think that everything needs to be done in person, which isn't necessarily the case. But I mean, for investigations right. and, and for teams to really be able to work together successfully, I think you really can't replicate it. But I also wanted to get a sense um, from that. Um, and with that, I want to say thank you guys both for taking the time with me. Um, I also want to say that congratulations, um, both our um, Excellence in Compliance Award finalists, these great women in compliance are also recognized by Compliance Week, um, Cindy in training and uh, Sarah for third-party risk management. And I wanted to say thank you for taking the time and for being, you know, you know, wonderful, inspirational team members. And thank you, thank you too, Lisa. Lisa. 
All right. We'll probably end up talking again later today, but (laughs) I hope everybody, I hope everyone has is staying safe and thanks so much. Take care. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.